remember when our daughter was born and I was working uh, like 10 hours, 10 hours a day working night shift up in South Bend, Indiana. Uh, I was assistant pastor there, but we were making plans to move back to Florida and I was uh, working the evening shift. And uh, I'd, I'd sleep till probably about 10 o'clock every morning because I'd work till about two or three o'clock in the morning. And uh, so I remember waking up and my wife was gone Denise was asleep. She's a baby, just six months old, in the crib asleep. My wife, I heard the door click, so I knew she went out the door and woke me up. I went to the window, looked out the window, and I saw her go down the stairs. We were on the third floor. She went down the stairs and ran, ran down the block around the corner where there was a grocery store. And she didn't want to wake me up, and the baby was asleep. And so she says, I'm going to go get something I got to get from the store. And I never will forget seeing her run. She ran like a dog was chasing her to that grocery store. And, and I just stood there and waited and kept my eye on the baby. I glanced back and watched Denise, his baby in the crib. And uh, in a few minutes here, she came running back just as hard as she could run with some groceries in her arm, came back up those steps. And she did all that because she didn't want to wake me up. And the baby was sleeping, and she decided that she had a little frame of time. And she ran because she didn't want to be gone too long for the baby's sake. And I saw her running, and then I, for the first time, I understood a little bit of what motherhood was all about. I mean, that baby was sleeping. I got to get back. I got to take care of my family and all those kind of things. And I never forget that as long as I live because I always say it, okay. That diligence is something else, amen. And uh, everything they said about it. she she never would, never talked about going to school until after we had the children all great, grown and raised up. And uh, then she said, you know, do you mind if I go back to school? I said, not one bit. I, in fact, I'd encourage you to, everything. I know that you have the, you know, the gift. When she graduated from UCF with her bachelor's degree, there was 850 graduates, and she was the number one graduate in that class. Number one. What they call it, uh, I guess there's a name for it. Anyhow, she's the number one. When we came up there to the graduation exercise, there was a special parking place they had just for me to park my car. And she didn't sit out in the audience with a graduate. She sat on the platform with all the teachers and all the honor people. But she was the number one graduate out of 850 graduates, all straight A's, all four old grade average all the way through. And she went on, as you know, to get her doctorate degree. So I'm very proud of my wife, very proud of my daughter, who is presently, even though uh, she does not have a doctorate degree, she's working on it probably in a couple of years, she'll have her doctorate degree too. And uh, my son, who is a judiciary doctor, they're all smart. You know, you're looking at me here. I'm, <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the guy that sort of kept it all running, you know. <laughs> Praise God. Aren't you glad? Praise the Lord for God's wonderful people and presence. I am. This church is a most. You, you people are some of the finest people in the world. And I appreciate you so very much. You really are. And we talk about you a lot. My son and I talk about you. Brother Richie and I talk about you. My wife and I talk about you. What wonderful people you are. And it's a privilege, amen, to have this wonderful congregation as our friends, as our friends. Praise the Lord. I'll say one word about my own mother. My mother, as you well know, died uh, in, in, 17, in 17. 
uh, in February. She was 98 years old. My own mother, she was with us for a long time. My mother was a very unusual person in that she's never got sick. This is, this is true. She never got sick. When I was a kid growing up, she was never sick. People get flus, and she was always the caregiver. She was the caregiver, always helping, always take care of other people, but she never got, got anything. And uh, later in years, while the doctor began to ask her some questions, says, you never, you never had this, you never had that? No, never had this, no, never, never. Just, you know, just having children, four children, that's all. Uh, you, you, and then he started questioning her, come to find out that her mother, when, she would, when her mother was carrying my mother, or my grandmother was carrying my mother in 1918, they had a flu epidemic in America, and there was millions of people that died from the flu. My grandmother got the flu, but barely made it, did not die, survived the flu. And then my mother was, that was in the fall of, of, of 1998, and in, 90, in 1919, 1918, my mother was born in 1919, and February, and everything. And the doctor says what happened was the 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 defense system that you developed and you built up, the immune system you built up was passed along to. to and he told my mother that says so probably passed along to you. And so therefore, that's why you've been able to throw off all these things. But all my life growing up, I never knew my mother was sick. My dad gets sick. I'd get sick. All the family gets sick. She took care of her mother and dad when they were elderly. Took care of my grandmother till she passed away. She was such a caregiver, lived herself to be, and she lived alone until she was just probably within the last year of her life. She lived in her own home. And, of course, my brother and sisters always visited her every day, you know, and looked after her, took care and took her wherever she needed to go. But I appreciate my mother so much, and I still, to this day, at my age, I still miss her because I used to share everything with her, everything. I skipped school one day, and I said, Mom, I'm going to skip school today. She said, all right, don't tell nobody. Don't tell your dad. I'm the only one that knows. That's mother's for you. <laughs> then she will know all about it, where, who you're going to go. I said, me and Jimmy, we're going to go, just go downtown, hang out, go to a movie or something like that. And okay, what movie you're going to? Okay, all right, and everything and that stuff. And that's what we did. We just, you know, just one day we just in springtime. She said, "Just don't tell nobody." As long as I know it's okay. So, she was somebody I could always share with. You understand what I mean? That's mothers for you. God bless them. My dad would said, "No way, man. You go." You know, that's the way he was. Law and order. She was grace. Praise the Lord. Amen. You, know, you understand what I'm saying? She was. He was the law. She was grace. Dispensation of law. I'll say it again. Everybody say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, I've got uh, about, uh, about 30, 30, 35 minutes here. I'm not going to go a whole long time. But I do want to talk about the next step that I've been talking to you here about. We've been studying the book of Revelation some. And I'm going to go a little bit further into this. Uh, I'm going to have you to look with me here. There's some scriptures in a moment. But I want to talk to you about the restoration of Israel. And there are some things happening. I've got some, I've got some terrific information to pass along to you. Next week, I'm going to be giving you some information that I've gotten recently uh, through some news journals and news cycles that you do not normally get on TV about what's happening in the world. And I'm going to pass some of those things along to you here next week. And uh, 
also talk to you about uh, where you and I stand in our relationship with God in this period of time that we live in. And I want to share some things with you so that you can know that in your walk with God, God knows where we are, knows our situation, knows what we're going through, and he understands everything. What God does require of us is that we live for him, that we serve him, that we walk with him, and if we'll do that and be faithful to God, God's hand is on his people. Praise the Lord. This is the best thing in the world, folks. This is the greatest thing going in the world is God's people, God's church on the face of this earth. And we are privileged to be a part of that this morning. And I want to talk to you a little bit about Israel. I want to go back into the Old Testament and show you a couple of things. Because before Israel ever went into captivity and was ever dispersed in, in all, all the world, as you know, Jewish, Jews are all over the world today. You know that. They're in every country. They're everywhere. And a lot of people don't know how they got there. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about that just very briefly but I want to talk to you about their restoration. And uh, what's going on now in Israel is that Jews are going back to Israel, but it's not the big restoration that the Lord has promised them. What's happening today is called Zion, Zionism. Zionism is a belief that all Jews should go back to their homeland, no matter what their religion is. It isn't, you, if you don't believe anything about God, it's okay. If you're an atheist, it's okay. If you're a socialist, it's okay. If, you're a, if, if, uh, if you are, you know, even, even, even if you believe in Jesus Christ as Messiah, it's okay, no problem, as long as you're a Jew in nationality. So Zionism is about Judaism in nationality, not in religion. And so uh, it's about the Jews returning. And so the Jews all work together in that sense of the word, but it's them doing it themselves. They really believe that God has nothing to do with it. And they believe that it's them, their own efforts. Where the real restoration of Israel is yet to come, and it is to come when God moves to have it done. Now, I'm going to show you some things in the scriptures. I want you to look with me, if you would, first of all, here in Deuteronomy chapter 28. I want to show you what Moses uh, gave to Israel and warned them, these things are coming on the face of the earth for you. And if you will serve God and walk with God, God will bless you beyond measure. He'll bless you beyond measure. Look at these verses. I'm going to look at Psalms 28. And this is not only in Psalms 28, but Leviticus 26. Leviticus 26 records much of the same thing uh, about how that God's favor is on Israel and then, then it reverses the whole thing. And this was all done here, Deuteronomy 28, was at the end of Moses' life. In fact, when you leave this discussion and this, uh, these instructions that he gives to Israel, the very next chapters deals with him going up on the mountain, and then they never see him again. He, he's, uh, he's, he's, he dies, and the Bible says he's buried by the angels. Now look at verse, uh, chapter 28, verse 1. It came to pass, it says, it shall come to pass. This is Moses speaking to Israel now, and he's telling them. And it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all his commandments, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. This is Israel as a nation in Palestine. And all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee 
if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. And verse 3, blessed shall thou be in the city, blessed shall thou be in the field. 4, blessed shall be the fruit of thy body, the fruit of the ground, the fruit of the cattle, the increase of kine, and the flocks and the flocks of the sheep. 5, verse 5. Blessed shall thy basket and thy store. Blessed shall be, in verse 6, when thou comest in, and blessed shall thou when they go in. In other words, everything you do, everything you touch, is going to be blessed, 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 blessed. Finally, down in verse 12, it says here, The Lord shall open unto thee his good treasure, the heaven to give the rain unto the land in his season, and to bless all the work of thine hand. And thou shalt lend unto many nations, and thou shalt not borrow. And the Lord shall make thee the head and not the tail. Thou shalt be above only, and thou shalt not be beneath. And, verse, and then it says, if that thou hearken unto the commandments of the Lord, thy God, which I commanded this day to observe and to do them. This was all conditional, understand that. Now, when you go to verse 15, the coin is turned over. He says, but, the very first word in verse 15 is but. And from here on, he says that, but if you don't keep the commandments of God, this is what will happen. So here's what it says in verse 15. But it shall come to pass that if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and do all his commandments and his statutes, which I commanded this day, that all these curses shall come on thee and overtake thee. And then he, what he called blessed over here, they are called curses over here in, from 16 on down. I'm going to verse 25 very quickly. The Lord shall cause thee to be smitten before thine enemies. Thou shalt go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them and shalt be removed into all the kingdoms of the earth. Now the Lord said, if you live for me, I'm going to bless you. If you don't live for me, one day you'll be scattered throughout all the nations of the earth. I'm going to go very quickly over here to the 36th verse of that chapter. The Lord shall bring thee and thy king, which thou shalt set over thee, into a nation which neither thou nor thy fathers have known. And thou shalt serve her the gods of wood and stone. Verse 37. And thou shalt become an astonishment, a, a, a proverb, a byword, among all nations, whether the Lord shall uh, lead thee. He goes on to talk about more of it. Verse 49. The Lord shall bring a nation against thee from far. From the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flieth, a nation whose tongue thou shalt not understand. The language is the tongue. And then verse 50, a nation of fierce countenance, which shall not regard the person of old, nor show favor to the young. And then finally in verse 64, and the Lord shall scatter thee among all people from the one end of the earth, even unto the other. Notice how the Lord is telling them all these things that he's going to do to them if you do not serve me and everything. Now, the irony of all of this is that all of these things did happen. These things really did happen. But the Lord also told them in chapter 30, I'm going to move on then to chapter 30 very quickly. He told them what they needed to do when they realized they have sinned against God. When we realize that we're in another country, we're in other places, we're scattered, everything's going bad for us, and when you come to that place, here's what you do. This is chapter 30 and verse 1. It shall come to pass when all these things are come on thee and the blessings and the curse which I have set before thee, and thou shalt call them to mind among all the nations, whether the Lord thy God hath driven thee, just like they are now, 
and shalt return unto the Lord thy God and shalt obey his voice according to all that I command thee this day, thou shalt thy children, and all thine heart, with all thine heart and with all thy soul, that then the Lord thy God will turn thy captivity and have compassion upon thee and will return and gather thee from all the nations whether the Lord thy God hath scattered thee. This is a promise that he made them. And uh, scattered them in, uh, from heaven. Let me finish reading this. Scattered thee. I'm going to jump down to verse 11. For this command, this is 3011 now here in Deuteronomy. For this commandment which I command thee today is not hidden from thee, neither is it far from thee. It is not, not in heaven that thou shouldest say, who shall go up to heaven or bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that thou mayest say, who shall go over to the sea for us and bring it unto us that we may hear and to do it. Verse 14, but the word is very nigh unto thee in thy mouth and in thy heart that thou mayest do it. Now, this is also referred to uh, in, in the New Testament by Paul when he speaks about this to each, of, each and every one of us. Let me just say it this way. The Jews had to understand that when they were scattered in all the nations, they didn't have to go back to Jerusalem to find God. They didn't have to go to some holy place. But all they had to do was to speak the words, call on the Lord. And folks, that's the way it is today. God will answer us wherever we are. Now, it's always good to go to church because we have the strength of everybody praying together. And that's always a strength. But you can be out in a desert by yourself in a lonely spot. And you can have church right by yourself. I remember one preacher saying he was driving through West Texas out in the middle of nowhere one night. Just driving, going to a distant city to preach a meeting or something. And he said, driving along, got thinking about God. Felt so God pulled off the road and got outside and just started walking around worshiping God and praising the Lord and glorifying God with his car on the side of the road in the middle of the night out in the middle of a desert place in West Texas. And he said, just worshiping God and praising the Lord. And I had my own church. Amen. And I have done things like that too in traveling. I've just gotten out of the car and just had spent some time worshiping God and praising God and glorifying God. And what we're saying is that it's in your mouth. You can, you can say, I've, I've, I've messed up or I'm not living for God. I'm not where I should be. What I need to do It's nigh thee. It's in your mouth. All you got to do is say, Jesus, forgive me. Praise the Lord. You don't have to be anywhere. You just have to be where you can speak and just say the words, Jesus, forgive me. I want to be saved. And it'll do it. And the Lord told Israel, wherever you are in all the world, if you'll come to that place that I will hear and I will answer. And that's exactly what Daniel did in chapter 9. Go to chapter 9 of Daniel for just a moment. I'm going to spend just a moment here. And the ninth chapter of Daniel is a, is a I could teach six months on this one chapter alone. You well know the impact of this, but I'm just going to read a couple of verses and move on here. This is what happened in chapter 9 here, Daniel. Verse 1, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahazazus, the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of, of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the, dis, uh, the desolations of Jerusalem. At this point, Jerusalem had been conquered by the Babylonians. And then the Babylonians had been conquered by the Medes and the Persians. And Daniel had been one of 5,000 young people that had been taken captive from Jerusalem and Israel 
over into Babylon. In fact, I think it's more 10,000 than 5,000, it's 10,000. Young people that was taken over there and everything. That included Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, that included Ezekiel, Mordecai, the uncle of Esther, who later would become queen and so forth, uh, in that Gentile country. But all they were, they were all taken over there. And so it goes on to say here that during that period of time that Daniel came to the understanding by reading Jeremiah that they would be in captivity for 70 years. And the reason for 70 years is because the land had to take its rest that they had re- they had neglected to do when they were not following the laws of God in the Old Testament. I won't go back into detail on that. Only to say this, that when Daniel came to that realization, he knew it was time for the restoration to happen again. And he knew that the scriptures over here says, when you are in those places and you're in distant lands, if you would call on the Lord, it's nigh on thee in thy mouth. You don't have to go to the temple. You don't have to go find the temple. You don't have to go find the holy ground. You know this today, the Jews all want to go to Jerusalem and they want to go to that temple mount. And they all, they can't get on the mount because this is controlled by the Arabs. So they pray against the wall on the outside. They all pray along that wall. It's called the Wailing Wall or the Western Wall. And the women have a section and the men have the bigger section because the men are more responsible for praying and seeking the Lord. And then there's a place under an old road that went over those archways and things where they go up in there. And I've been into those places and prayed myself because anybody can go in there and pray, you know. And those Jews are all in there praying and they spend hours in there praying and talking to the Lord. You don't have to do any of that. You just have to call on God wherever you are is the main thing. So this is what Daniel came to that understanding. And so when you look in the scriptures here, verse three, I set my face unto the Lord thy God to seek thy with prayer and supplications, with fasting, sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O God, the great and dreadful God, keep, that keeping, keeping the covenant and mercies of them that love him and to them that keep his commandments, we have sinned. The very beginning of fifth, the fifth verse. We have sinned. And from there on, he repents for himself. He repents for all of his people. He repents for his forefathers. He, repent, he repents for all of Israel. And at the end of his praying, or while he's praying, Gabriel shows up, the angel, and brings him a message and talks to him about some things that's very interesting, very informative, and we will not get into that part of chapter 9. But the point I'm simply bringing out to you here is that this is what was promised to him, that if he would do this, God would send these blessings and he would forgive Israel and he would restore them. Now, this is exactly what happened. God, God received Daniel's prayer. And Daniel uh, and the, uh, the, the people of the Jews were restored. 50,000 of those Jews left that land over there. Uh, I... I'm going to get into a chart here in a moment. I, think, I don't think I've got a map here. But they left that land in the east and they went back to Palestine. And they resettled that land over there. They rebuilt the temple called Zerubbabel's temple. Later embellished and made into Herod's temple. The New Testament temple that Jesus was familiar with. And uh, they rebuilt that temple. And so the Jews then for about 400 years, you know, lived in Palestine. But not to where God wanted them to. And then prophecies came that the Messiah was going to come. Daniel talked about it. Zechariah talked about it. He was one, that, one of the prophets that was in that period of time. That the Messiah was coming. 
And when Jesus came, they rejected Jesus because he didn't come the way they wanted him to come. They wanted him to come and say, guys, fasten, put on your swords, put on your helmets. We're going to throw off this Roman government. We're going to go to war. But he didn't. He came peaceably. He came sowing peace and goodwill. He was a prince of peace. They knew that was in the scriptures, but it was like they just looked over it, you know. You know, he's the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the prince of peace. They just sort of, well, let's just push that aside. So when Jesus came, his type of messiahship was not what they wanted to see. Now, the common people, praise the Lord, heard him gladly. They didn't have anything. They had nothing to lose, so they listened. If, you have, if you're poor or your family was poor, your background is poor, you're probably more blessed than if you had ever had money. And I'll tell you why. Because the poor heard him gladly. And the poor, the gospel has preached unto them. So if your family or you or whoever it was that began this walk with God in your family or if it's yourself or somebody in your family, it's probably because the poor heard him gladly and you said, Lord, I thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the truth. And so you got saved and you're living for the Lord today. So it was given to the poor. Amen. And so the poor heard him gladly. They followed him. And after a while, they got where they, all they followed was the loaves and fishes. Jesus even rebuked them for that. You followed me for the loaves and fishes. But the Jews as a whole and all the leaders, the Pharisees, Sadducees, the scribes and the priests, they all rejected Jesus. And no matter what he did, he could do miracles and say, you know, miracles. Oh, well, and, you know, they, they, he does it by the devil. They even said that, Beelzebub, you know. They, and they, they said some terrible things about how, how Jesus was able to do the healing work. What I am saying is that they rejected him again. And this is why Jesus said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I would that I could have gathered thee under my wings like a mother hen does her chicks. I wish I could have gathered you unto me because I love you, Jerusalem. But ye would not, ye would not. For you knew not the day of your visitation. God has visited you and you never knew you were being visited. He was, his name shall be called uh, Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And now God was with them. He walked with them. He was among them and they never knew it. You see, if we're not, if we're not in tune with God, we can miss those moments of visitation and those times when the Lord draws nigh unto us and close to us and near us, the ones who were close, they heard, they heard the gospel, they were saved, they walked with God, and they began to walk with the Lord and trust in him. So when this period of time happened, there were some who turned to the Lord, believed him, and you have the early church. Pentecost was poured out. The Holy Ghost was poured out on the day of Pentecost. And uh, you had the early church getting started. Uh, history tells us that the uh, the early church in Jerusalem at first, in, in the beginning, was around five to 10,000. It was around 5,000 strong. And then it grew to nearly 10,000 people. But most of the Jews as a nation, as a people, they rejected it. And more and more they got where they persecuted these Christian Jews. They didn't, they didn't want these Christian Jews around. You know, they believed it because, they, because Christ made the others look bad and so they didn't want them and they, re, they persecuted them 
Finally, the day came, they killed James, who was the pastor. He was the half-brother of Jesus in the sense that he was the, he was the son of Mary and Joseph. And James was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And so uh, they killed him, I think it was in 68, 68 AD. And uh, around from that time on, the Christian says, it's time for us to get out of Jerusalem. Things are going to happen. This is not where. So they started moving out, moving to other cities, getting away from Jerusalem. Uh, they moved to a spectrum to another city until all Christians eventually had left out of Jerusalem. And then when they saw that Roman army coming down, they remember the words of Jesus that he spoke about in Luke 21, where he says, when you see armies come past Jerusalem, know that the desolations are nigh, it's coming. And the other Jews that says, what desolation? There's not going to be no desolation. God's going to come defend us and we're going to defeat the enemy. And the Christian says, no, no, no. Jesus has already said, this city is going to be destroyed and everything. And that's exactly what happened. And in 70 AD, uh, the, all the Christians were gone. The Lord has a way of removing his people. They believed in Jesus Christ, the others that were there, and they had become very mean. You can read about it in history in Josephus. Some of those people had become so mean uh, to each other. I mean, to each other they were. Until finally in 70 AD, the Romans came, surrounded the city, and they, they warred and warred and warred and warred until the walls fell. They went in and they burned the city. They burned the temple, burned it to the ground, which was called Herod's temple. Uh, they, uh, they, Jesus said, not one stone should be left upon another. They said, Lord, look what a beautiful temple. They said, he said, not one stone should be left upon another. This was like in 30 AD. Uh, Forty years later, it was burned to the ground, just like Jesus said that it would. And so I'm pointing all those things out to tell you here that then the Jews were scattered. Uh, history says that uh, over a million, a million, a hundred thousand, one hundred thousand Jews were actually killed in this 70 AD time because they had gathered in there for feast days and the feast days they were trapped in there. Pentecost was one of the feast days because the, the city, uh, I think it was, I think it was a uh, Passover time and then they were trapped in there. And then in August, August, I think the eighth is whenever the, the, it all fell the walls came down, the Romans came in, and everything happened that the Lord said that would happen. And so the Jews then were scattered. It's even prophesied over in one of the scriptures in the Old Testament that the Jews would be taken in, down into Egypt and sold uh, into slavery. And they would, be, and they would be become so many of them until they couldn't even, nobody even wanted to buy one. They didn't want to have to feed them, you know, for a slave. And so uh, the Jews were scattered throughout all the world for slavery then. And uh, this, I'm just telling you the pathetic situation that happened to Israel in 70 AD. And then in, in, in just 40 years later, uh, they were again invaded by the Romans, 135, that's more than that, 60 some years later. I forgot. Anyhow, uh, Hadrian came in and he killed another half a million Jews. And this all happened. And so the Jews were just scattered they're devastated. They've been scattered all over the world. Since that time, the gospel has gone forth in the church. The Lord has made his church to be the people of the Gentiles and Jews, whoever would come unto him. Now, the promise of restoring Israel, the Lord said, if you repent, I'll restore you. And the promise of restoration is still there for the Jews of this day. God has promised it to them. I want you to look at Romans chapter 11 for a moment here. Romans 11. And... Uh, I, uh, 
Look at Romans 11, 1. I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. This is what Paul is writing about whenever he knew that the Jews now had rejected Christ and Christ and they were no longer in favor with God and the Jerusalem had not yet been destroyed. But he says, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God, verse 2, hath, hath not cast away his people. Now look it down in verse 11 very quickly, saving time here. I say then have they stumble that they may should fall, God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation is coming to the Gentiles. So God, in letting them fall, he has now favored the Gentiles. Look at verse 17. And if some of the branches be broken off, that's the olive tree and the branches, that is the Jews that did not believe in Christ were broken off. And thou, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them. In other words, we being Gentiles now have been made to be part of the body of Christ. And with them partakers of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. He says, boast not thyself against the branches. Now look down at verse 20. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off. And thou standest by faith, because you believe in Jesus Christ. Be not high-minded, but fear. Always have the fear of God in your hearts. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and the severity of God on them which fell severity, but toward thee, goodness, that is you, you Gentile, this is written to the Romans, you Gentiles, uh, toward thee, goodness, if thou continue in his goodness, continue in his good, otherwise thou also shall be cut off. If you've got your Bible there, Right in there, no eternal security. There's no such thing as eternal security. That's, a, that's, a, that's, that's not even in the Bible. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, they, the Jews, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. Now I'm going to read verse 25 here and then move into the, I want to go into the book of Revelation here a moment. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until, until the fullness of the Gentile be come in. And <clears throat> we've talked to you about this timeline that we have in this chart. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because I know our time is getting away. Let me focus here. And this is a, this is a timeline of... Uh, Timeline of, uh, of, of the entire church age of, of, of the time of man. 4,000 of the Old Testament starting with Adam, 4,000 of the, and 2,000 of the New Testament going from here actually to Armageddon here. And the 2,000 years here, the church age, plus it includes the rapture. And then there's the tribulation period that follows. This right here is only about 10 years. And then there's 1,000 years of peace that will follow that right in here. Now, I'm going to show you a chart in a minute that deals with this part right in here only. And uh, this, is, this red line here represents the time of the Gentiles until God is through working with the Gentiles. Then he's going to turn back wholly to the Jews. Now, uh, while you're there, look with me, if you would, in Ephesians 3.3 3 for just a moment. Ephesians 3.3. 3. I think I've got it in my... Uh, I don't know if I do or not. Yeah, okay, hang on a second.
All right. Look in Ephesians 3, 3. How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery as I wrote before in a few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. He's talking about a mystery here. Paul has said, I got a revelation of the mystery, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto the holy apostles and prophets by the spirit. Verse six, and this is what that mystery is. Excuse me. <coughs> that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ by the gospel. That the Gentiles should be of the same heirs with the Jews is what he's speaking about. In other words, the, with the promise of Abraham. And then Paul speaks a lot of times about how that we are sons of Abraham through faith. He's the father of faith. We're sons of faith. So we have faith in Jesus Christ. Then our faith in Jesus Christ is what qualifies us then to be sons of Abraham and so forth. And so we, this is the mystery that other Jews did not understand about. So when you get over here then in Revelation, I want you to go to Revelation then in chapter 10, chapter 10 and verse 7, Revelation 10, 7. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound the mystery of God should be finished as he hath declared to his servants, the prophets. So there's a mystery that's going to be finished. What is the finishing of the mystery? That the Jews and the Gentiles together are one body. Because when that's finished, the Lord forgets about the Gentiles, forget the Gentiles here. And he goes back to dealing with the Jews only. Everybody stay with me on that. He's going to number the Gentiles is this the time of the Gentiles. He's going to, he is going to then deal with only the Jews. So he's going to restore. So everything he said in Romans, God has not forgotten the, Gent, the Jews. He's going to restore them. And I'm going to show you in Revelation chapter 11 where it happens. And from chapter 11 on, you're talking about the Jewish people being the people of God. It's not the church. Why? Because the church is already raptured. Raptures are already raptured. I'm going to show you a chart here in a few moments. And uh, I'm aware of my time. And I think I'm on, on target. This is a chart of the book of Revelation. And uh, I've shown this numerous times. I think most of you uh, have seen it or something. But this, these, these bars here represents the first uh, 10 chapters of the book of Revelation down here. And then starting in chapter 11, you have this right here. And then you have this semicircle. I'll explain this to you. But this, is, this comes out of Daniel here. And this is where it all happened. Daniel prophesied it in Revelation here. It gives all the details to it. And the Armageddon is right here. You can see the Armageddon sign up here. It points down right, right here. So this is where we, so where we are. Uh, I'm going to deal with this semicircle part here. I'm starting with the yellow. See the yellow semicircle? All right. We're going to put this one up here, and we'll start with that part of it where you can see it. Now, go to, uh, we're in chapter 11. It goes 11 to 13. And this is the first three and a half years. It's called Daniel's 70th week. I won't get into details on how we get that, but that's in Daniel 9, 27. Uh, anyhow, it's divided into two parts here. There's a three and a half year period here and a three and a half year period here. Now, look. At, Dan, at Revelation 11.1. 1. And I've got about four minutes and I'm going to have to wrap this up. Everybody with me? 
You say vaguely, but still. <laughs> All right. Look at Revelation 11, 1. And there was given unto me a reed like unto a rod, and the angels stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not, for it's given unto the Gentiles. Leave out the Gentiles. No more Gentiles saved. Notice here it talks about the temple and them that worship therein. <clears throat> so leave the, the court of the Gentiles out, for it's given unto the Gentiles. And the holy city shall they tread underfoot for in two months. If you got your Bible right, three and a half years in there. Verse three, and I will give power unto my two witnesses and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and three score days. And so what that refers to is those two prophets that will come that will turn the hearts of Israel back to God and they will prophesy for three and a half years. Four and two months is what they call it there. And same, it all measured out the same thing. And then if you look down in verse six of, of chapter 11, these have power to shut the heavens that it rain not. Elijah did that in the days of their prophecy and have power to, uh, over water to turn them to blood. Moses did that in his day. Excuse me. <coughs> Better get a glass of water. And then he goes on to say in verse 7, I'm finished reading verse uh, 6. Uh, turn water and turn water to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. Verse 7, <clears throat> when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascended out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them. This is the Antichrist. Shall overcome them and kill them, kill them. And so here they are. Their bodies are lying in the street. They're killed. They're alive, the two prophets. Then here they are. They're alive here. And this is not three and a half year period. At the end of that period, this, this all happens. Now look at verse 11 very quickly here. I'm going to wrap this up now. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them and they stood upon their feet. Great fear fell upon them with, which saw them and they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud and their bodies and their enemies rather beheld them. And so they ascended up to heaven. This arrow here represents the two prophets going up to heaven here. And they were revived. They ascended up to heaven. And that first three and a half years is past. The Jews have turned back to God. And in Zechariah chapter uh, 12 and 13, it says that God will give them the spirit of grace. All of a sudden, God will send on them the spirit of grace, the Jews. And when they hear the prophets, they will say, oh, my God. Jesus was our Messiah. He was our Messiah and we never knew it. We turned him down and they will get on their faces before God and they will pray and they will repent and they will call on God and they will again become the people of God. And from there on in the book of Revelation, also it's recorded in Zechariah, also scriptures over in Isaiah, also scriptures in, in, in Ezekiel talks about them turning back to God and what God will do with them and how he will use them in the last days. And during this next three and a half years, the Antichrist will try to wipe out the Jews, but he'll not be able to do it because God will protect them, fight for them, defend them. Some of them will, pass, will, will die in it all. They will be martyred. But in the end, God will come and, and with 10,000, three and a half years later, come with 10,000 of his saints. In the 19th chapter of Revelation, he will come, praise the Lord, and destroy the Antichrist. 
and the false prophets and the beast and all that and set up his throne that will be for a thousand years. I'm telling you all of that, folks, because there are some interesting things happening in the world today that is setting the stage for all of these things, these little bits and pieces coming in from different places. Next week, I'm going to share some things with you. I'm going to share some things. I'm going to talk about us, where we are in the middle of all of this. Uh, God has given me some understanding on some scriptures here recently I want to share with you. And I'm going to pass these things along to you next, next Sunday, Lord willing. But God, praise the Lord, looks out for his people. Believe me, he does. And his hand is on everything. But this world is in a mess. And it's getting a bigger mess as time goes along. Aren't you glad you know the Lord? Aren't you glad you serve him? Praise if you don't serve him, it's time to serve him. Time to know him. Let's stand together and just praise him. Let's give God the praise and glory for all things. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we love your name.